Greetings and salutations, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 23 of the Cult Spark podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss entertainments of the cult and geek varieties, and in this installment, we're going to talk about Deadpool, we're going to talk some X-Files, and we might have some bonus topics at the end of the hour. We'll see what we end up getting to. My name is Bob Taylor, and you can read my movie reviews at cultspark.com. There's one up now for Deadpool. I'll have another one going up on the new horror film, The Witch, which should be on the site uh, probably around the same time this podcast goes up. Joining me tonight, as always, is my partner in crime, Stu Smith, who keeps plugging away on the Van Damage Report, a series of essays examining the career works of Mr. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Those also appear at cultspark.com. Stu, how you doing? Doing all right. Uh, just a friendly word to all of our uh, readers. Hopefully those uh, Van Damage reports will soon be a book. That is uh, something I'm trying to figure out how to do. So if anybody listening to this knows how to make that happen, uh, please let me know. I can use all the help I can get on that. Which I get to write the foreword for as long as Van Damme himself turns you down, correct? Well, see, he's already promised me something, so... Oh, he has. Mm, so the question maybe. the question is, does Van Damme keep his promises? Well, we'll find out, won't we? We will. And after many, many months where he was holed up doing little other than writing fiction and playing Rainbow Six, Tim Kelly has finally returned to his rightful home right here with us on this <laughs> podcast. Tim, Tim, while Stu and I have been like fighting over who hates Jurassic World more and dumb shit like that, you've been off like producing works, correct? I, that's correct. I've actually I'm kind of taken my own stab at fiction right now uh, with Mafia versus Werewolves. Yes, please pimp your uh, stuff. So, Tell people where yeah. they can get it. And oh, go. by all means. Please um, go ahead. And so basically, basically, it's just a series of short stories I'm writing. Um, I'm going to publish 10 of them in a collection. You can go to Amazon.com right now. Search for Mafia versus Werewolves. Episode 1 is available for download on Kindle apps for the low price of 99 cents. And Episode 2 is dropping next week, so... It's very much, uh, the plot is very much the title. Uh, it takes place in Rockford, Illinois, a town that I adore, and the club that I'm writing about is based on a very, very real place from my life. Well, so. I'm glad you could take a break to to join us again. It's been so long since you've been on the show. It's, uh, it's great to come back, and it's it's great that there's still a show to come back to. I always want to be able to come back and now, talk to you guys. I mean, I, it's funny because I talk to you guys every single day of my life, pretty much for the last four years, but, but it's good to get on. It's good to get on the show and, and hash it out. And, and you are time. contributing to the website every once in a while again. We got a Bond piece out of you after Spectre yeah, I had, opened. I got a Bond piece, and uh, who knows? Who knows what yeah. the future holds? So I definitely – Cold Spark's my home, so it's good to be back. So we're going to talk about Deadpool tonight for the most part because that's what everybody who covers movies and likes movies and watches movies and reviews movies is talking about right now. Not – just because it's like sort of the sole bright spot release in the middle of the winter, but also because it happens to be really, really good, and also because it made a bajillion fucking dollars last weekend when it opened up. Were you guys? Let's start with quality over getting into the money and stuff. Uh, did everyone here like Deadpool? I I had a blast with it. I it was about as it was about as good of a movie I think as one could expect from that character because none of us were super pumped going in none of us were like i can't wait for deadpool we weren't it was more like i I felt like all three of us were sort of taking a wait and see approach is that fair i i think it ended up being exactly what it needed to be though i mean the the world was ready for a reflexive fourth wall breaking superhero movie so it was right right movie at the right time i had a lot of trepidation about it not in small part due to the fact that you know ryan reynolds movies are such a 
uh, it's such a gamble going into those. You know, you get something like Mississippi Grind that uh, recently got you know some really good reception, but that's almost kind of you know that that's more the the exception than anything. I mean, the guy's just had a series of of absolute duds, especially when he's you know been in but, in comic book movies. But, but, but so, they've almost. I mean, like he he tries really hard. It's it's not his fault. But I was it's just, just gonna say it's never been his fault. I don't right. think I mean, ever. He, he is always the bright spot of those movies, but. I, it's just kind of like, come on, man. I mean, I, I, I know that you want to get it right, but I just I don't have a whole lot of faith, especially since, you know, the guy directing this has never made a feature film before. Uh, this just seems like a huge, huge gamble. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I like the character. I'm not in love with the character. So there was that, too. But, you know, I, I think in the case of the film, it, you know, it's not just a, a, a case of lowered expectations. I, I think it really, really works well. I don't. I mean, I don't think it's a, a trailblazer um, as far as no. R-rated superhero movies. I, I think you had movies like Super um, that kind of did what Deadpool is doing today, but certainly kick financially, ass. kick ass, kick ass as well. Yeah, I mean, um, even King's been to a certain is, extent, right? Though that wasn't King's a comp- yeah. That's sort of that's sort of kind of Mark Miller. Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely in a similar vein. Element, yeah. You, know, I'd take Deadpool over. At least two of those movies. I probably wouldn't take it over Super, but I'd take it I over. I don't know if I'd take it over Kick-Ass either, the first mm, one. I think I, I like Kick-Ass, but I think I'd take Deadpool. I really like the meta stuff. Uh, my big concern going in was going to be was an improper balance between the dick jokes, the masturbation jokes, sort of the stuff for the, the 12-year-olds that you know you're going to get, and sort of the smarter fourth wall-breaking meta stuff where, you know, much like they do in the comic book, you know he's going to break that fourth wall, make fun of the, the comics in general, make fun of the X-Men in general, in this case, make fun of comic book movies in general. I just wanted the, there to be a balance there and not tilt too much on the easy gross out gags and i thought they nailed that balance i thought it was pretty much damn near perfect they did nail that balance and i think what really worked in the film's favor and i think what was the the best decision was one of my worries going into it was that they were going to go overboard with fourth wall breaking uh because i mean even even in like the joe kelly run of the deadpool comics you know he's always kind of got this self you know this inner monologue going that's always it's always commenting on just about everything like there's there's rarely you know two or three panels that goes by where there's not some little thought thought bubble narration you know from deadpool that's commenting on something that's happening and so i was kind of worried that they were going to go overboard with it they were they were just going to be breaking the fourth wall all the time that it was just going to be, you know, this kind of overload. And I was surprised that it was as somewhat restrained as it was. Uh, but I, I thought that that was, you know, I thought that they handled it well. They didn't go overboard with it. Uh, and the moments that they did do it were great. I mean, the thing is, is if you take all the jokes out of it, it's still a pretty fun and serviceable little superhero movie origin story. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's 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 well cast. At base level, the character's good. Ryan Reynolds is good in it, and it's like just the structure of the movie is sound. And then they pile all these gags up and all this stuff on top of it, keep it balanced, and it just works really well. To Stu's point, it's really restrained, but I also think it benefits from being a lean film. I mean, it it seems like it starts and then he becomes Deadpool, and then in no time at all, we're at the shipyard. So I think it, it benefits from the fact that it doesn't overstay its welcome as well. And so many comic book movies do that. So well, it's, it's nice to have one that's like an hour, 45 minutes and out. 
And you know what else? Adaptations right. in general do that. And now. you know what else is great? That it it's a it's a standalone piece. It's really not there to set up a sequel or a universe, even though it's part of the X Men universe. But it's it's really only concerned about what exists between the first frame and the last frame, and that's almost unheard of in comic book movies these days. I, I think that this this is definitely a case where you know I I was kind of worried going in, you know, that it was going to look cheap, that it was going to feel sparse, because I mean this this was not a very uh, this was not a movie with a very meaty budget to it. Uh, you and can definitely tell that the t- they cut it right before it started too. Right. Yeah. That too. So it's like, you know, how, how is this going to be hobbled? Uh, but it really, I mean, this, this is, if anything, a great testament to, you know, how kind of, you know, more of these movies like this should, should find ways to restrain themselves to, you know, to work under limitations, uh, cause it, it works around that really, really well. It, it's, it's a, it is a very lean movie. I mean, there's the, the structure of it is a little wonky in the way that it keeps bouncing back and forth between, uh, you know, the, the quote unquote present moment and the flashbacks and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, there really is not a wasted moment throughout the entire runtime. I mean, like everything is always about furthering, you know, whatever plot is happening or the characters or something. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's just, there's, you know, a whole lot of, whole lot of lean muscle on there. Not a lot of fat. Does it benefit too from, from a certain amount of freshness and that not a lot of people are familiar with the Deadpool character. And so, and so it comes off as something new and exciting to maybe people who are kind of tired of the Captain Americas. Yeah. I think that that definitely works too. I mean, you know, this is definitely, uh, while his, while Wade's origin definitely isn't, uh, you know, it's, it's not too different from like say Wolverine or something like that. Like how many how many Batman origins have we seen? You know how many how too many, many? Right, exactly. I mean, it's like so many of these characters. We've just like, okay, we've seen this origin before. Who cares? Just come on, get to the good stuff. You know, it, this film really benefits from the fact that everything that Wade is trying to accomplish is tied into specifically him being Deadpool. You know, and so that really propels the movie in a, in a great way. I think. It helps too that I think they use characters that you don't have a lot of expectations from too. You know, I don't go in hoping, oh god, I hope they nail Ajax. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, it, there's some Ajax super fan out there where out there just super fucking pissed off that they ruined his character in this movie. Like, how can they ruin like Ajax? Would, it's like you whenever no. they make a live action Moon Knight. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, let's not <laughs> be drop. Let's not be great. dropping the Great Moon Knight down the fucking Ajax's level. Okay. God, we're already getting off on a Moon Knight rabbit trail. Thanks, Tim. God. <laughs> I'm go, back. <laughs> go on, Stu. But no, I mean, that, that's actually a great point. It's like, you know, just talking about the freshness of character. Like, this is the – I mean, we've gotten glimpses of Colossus and a couple of, a couple of the X-Men movies. Uh, but, I mean, this is the first time that he's really ever resembled uh, the character from the comics. And that, I mean, everybody's hoping that they go with Cable next time, which is fine. That's great, Cable – you know, cable can be fun when playing off Deadpool, but I'd be fine if they just bring Colossus back and the two of them bounce off each other for, you know, another 90, 90 minutes to two hours. Even the hair on Colossus in this movie is just perfectly like late 80s, early 90s Colossus. Yeah, I mean, he it looks it looks pretty much like he walked out of, you know, a, a Chris Claremont issue of, of X-Men right. bridge aside yeah. from, you know, some of the costumes. Here's my thing with Colossus. I thought the version of Colossus that they did in this movie worked extremely well in this movie. Sort of the overly earnest 
good guy Colossus with the heavy, thick, but almost generic Russian accent. Right. He's, the, a, per- it, he's a perfect foil it, for it, right. For it, in the context of this movie, I thought it was perfect, but I'm not sure that version of Colossus would work well in an X-Men movie proper. He just well, almost, he almost seems too broad. It and wouldn't work this... with a Brian Singer X-Men movie, but I think if you, you know, if you were to have almost anyone else direct an X-Men movie that is actually, you know, fairly true to the to the X-Men as we know them in the comics. I mean, he's cartoonishly uh, Russian in this movie and not sort of the I almost called the big metallic man a flesh and blood character, you know, so, but you know, some, someone who you know is going to fall right. in love with Kitty Pride and have all you know. Not unflatteringly uh, so, though. Right. I don't think it it, it worked in this movie. He's uh, endearing in this, and I and I yeah. like that. The other thing I wanted to address was you called the structure wonky, Stu, and I've seen that sort of complaint elsewhere that the movie's awkwardly structured. It. I didn't think so. I I really liked the way it was set up for a couple reasons. One, by jumping right into that action scene, I mean, right at the opening credits, we're having Deadpool fully realized on screen. It's not wasting time, you know, getting into the origin story first when we've sat through so many of these things. I mean, how we've sat through so many superhero movies where they, you know, the first 40 minutes of the origin story. And even though this film is an origin story, it's nice to have it structured so that, you know, bam, you're into the action. Here's Deadpool. Here's what he stands for. Here's the kind of smart alecky asshole he is. And we don't have to wade through a bunch of origin shit to get to that. I also think it's economical because – and the movie does not look cheap. Regardless of what they spent, I don't think the movie looks cheap. But I do think it's obvious that it's economical, in which case there were only really two big heavy hitter action sequences. And and then some little tiny sort of throwing stuff in the middle where he's tearing through Ajax organization. But by taking that first big action sequence and sort of spacing it out where you get a big chunk of it at the beginning and then you get some flashback and then you get another big chunk of that scene, it seems like a really economical way to do it, get all your money on the screen and keep your audience interested. The only thing I would add to that, too, is that I think the jigsaw nature of the structure kind of suits the character. And that's in the way that that's the story that he would tell the way he would tell it. Right. That's a very good point. So, I, uh, so even there was a lot of criticism about the structure, but I don't know a, a better way to do it, or I, I don't think there would be a better way to do it. I think that's the only way to do it. I, I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. I mean, that's all you know. I mean, I, I think it works. I mean, let, right. I'll be clear on that. I, it's. I mean, you have to I pay think, attention that a like, little bit, but you know. It's, okay, that, yeah. here's here's my problem with it. It's the fact that it's not the fact that it jumps back and forth in the timeline. Uh, you know, and like Tim said, that kind of erratic nature suits the character. It suits his mindset. But I, I think just kind of overall in terms of like, you know, I, I don't know. It's like by the, by like the, the second or third time that it spends like 30 seconds max back on that highway before it jumps back in time. I was just like, oh, come on. Just, just you know, let, come on. Let's just stick with one thing for just a little bit, please. And, and again, you know. I was going to say, the thing about the highway scene is, is that it's it's structured so well that you always want to keep going back to it. So so to Stu's point, I am well, we're watch, while I'm watching the movie, I am thinking, God, I want to get back to that highway scene. Because as far as the origin is concerned, that's some of the most that's that's the most action you have in the first 40 minutes of the movie. Right. And, and again, you know, like I said, I, I think it works. I think it works kind of in spite of whatever problems that I have with it. But, you know, I, I do think that. Going back and forth so frequently like that uh, hurts it just a little bit, uh, you know, to my mind. But again, not enough to 
not enough to sink the film or, you know, to make me think poorly of it or however you want to say it. In general, I can say that I liked most of the action. I know there was a concern that, well, is the action going to be up to snuff? I thought it was. Uh, the only scene that really didn't do much for me was the fight with Ajax in the like Weapon X, but not Weapon X building, whatever that shady organization was. Um, that fight scene in there was like, eh. but the but the rest of it, I thought they did very well with the money they have, and the action was creative, and there were lots of jokes built in, and it was funny, and it it just it, it seemed to all fit together very well. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I think that um, I think the action is definitely the place where you can kind of tell that they really kind of had to get creative around their budget. You know, I, I was kind of hoping that at some point, like, or at least especially uh, after he forgot his uh, ammo bag for a second time, uh, he's like, man, that budget keeps giving me amnesia or something like that. You know, since it was pretty obvious that, okay, the reason that they're not having more gun battles or more use of guns or whatever is, I mean, it's obviously a budgetary thing, but it works well. I mean, they work well around it. We, we definitely we make don't... it work for them. I mean, that's right. Yeah, definitely. Around. And it's and again, they they work in it. They work in the humor to that. Like the whole "I only have twelve bullets" uh, gimmick was great. That was hilarious. Um, the biggest laugh my theater got was the uh, Xavier Institute visit. Yeah, that was great. Uh, the the, uh, the Colossus. Wait, wait, the second one where they go back and he's like, where where he says, um, isn't it weird that it's always you two showing up at the front door? That one, right? And they sort of acknowledge the budget right. again, right? There. Right, yeah. right. Uh, people, I mean, people ate that up in the crowd I was in. Yeah. That got a great reaction, as did Colossus uh, shielding uh, Gina Carano's boob. <laughs> yes. Um, I, you know, I like the way that they worked around the budget. Uh, it, and we definitely don't see this, this kind of action a whole lot, Look, especially I, because it's so unhinged and so bloody. I mean, the last time that we got action like this was probably in one of the Blade movies as far as a comic book movie. Goes. Right. I think the action scenes had personality. They, they really did. They weren't showing us. I mean, there's a lot of like sort of like uh, the Matrix effect, you know, the slow-mo camera moving around. So from like an effects perspective, it's not really stuff we haven't seen before. And yes, it's mm -hmm. violent in a way that most comic books haven't been in a while, maybe dating back since Blade or talking about Kick-Ass or something. It's So it's, it's taking all these pieces that we've seen here and there, but really making them work in the context and the personality of this movie. I thought that was my opinion. Hard to top that, really. That is, I agree with that. Um, <laughs> and the movie, and it's hard when it's a movie. It's hard when it's a movie we all agree about, you guys. Right? I know. Oh. Stu, Stu and I always have so much fun when we're fighting, but we got lots of podcasts left, Stu. We'll we'll dig something up. We do. We do. Uh, um, uh, so what's funny? Okay. The other the other joke that yeah, I mean, the, I, again, I was a big fan of all the meta stuff Tim mentioned. Like like if. The, the the part when they go to uh, the institute, go to the X Men school, and they, you know, like, isn't it weird that you two are the only ones who show up at the door? Like, that's probably funnier than any Hugh Jackman cameo, flesh and blood cameo may have been. Like, I I sort of like that sort of yeah. the sort of sly commentary on how they had to kind of do it on the cheap makes it more appealing to me if it would have just been stuffed full of cameos. I I think. It's a movie that pulls out a character like Negasonic Teenage Warrior right. just because it likes the name. And I like that they mock the X-Men timeline being so fucked. And there's that uh, Stuart, yeah. or Ma that Stuart or McAvoy line, which went over very well in my theater. What's well, the question I have, though? Does this, act does this movie exist on the new X-Men timeline, or is it apart from that? It does. 
I don't know that Fox is paying that much attention right they're, now. They're not. I, I, I mean, listen, the, the tentative answer is I yes. After last but... week, and they kind of have to. Right. Yeah, we're going to get into that in a minute. It's the X-Men timeline. It's so funny because the X-Men timeline used to drive me nuts where I used to say, OK, if you're going to do if you're, if you're going to do a shared universe like this, let's keep it on the up and up and let's keep the continuity intact. And whenever they would, you know, when a, when a move, new movie would come out and they would break that continuity a little bit for that movie's purposes, it would irritate the hell out of me like the little comic book nerd I am. But. The more preposterous the timeline has gotten, the more I've started to enjoy the preposterousness of the timeline because it's actually aping the comics almost directly now. Whereas, you know, a new creative team comes on with a new movie. Ah, we don't like this, 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 and this. We'd rather do this. Here's your movie. And it's almost, it's a, it's very comic book like how they just rewrite the timeline and ignore the continuity whenever they want to the point where I actually enjoy it now. I get a kick out of it. But I think, um, with the reboot, with the Days of Future Past reboot, which quote-unquote reset the timeline, I think anything past that date, anything that takes place on any year past uh, – what year did Days of Future Past what, – what, what year did the past stuff take place in? The, it was the 80s, right? 80s, yeah. So I think I think Fox just – Was it was it the 80s? Or was no, it the 70s? This, 70s. No, uh... X-Men 70s. Apocalypse is going to be the 80s. So it's the 70s. So, yeah. so Days of Future Past Six, the the six, uh, First class was the 60s. 60s. Future past 70s. Right. And then Apocalypse is going to be 80s. So I think Fox and Brian Singer and whoever can now just point at Future Past and say, oh, timelines are set. We don't know what was going to happen from 1970, whatever onward. We can do whatever we want, whether it makes sense or not, which is fine. The characters in those last two minutes, though, of Days of Future Past that you that are always secure now, though, you know, you're always going to build the Cyclops and Jean Grey and Wolverine. And Professor Xavier all being in that room together at the end. So it, it kind of takes some of the mystery away, too, though. Uh, right. Well, I guess they like, the, you know, you can't kill Cyclops or Jean Grey now as played as as they'll appear in Apocalypse. Not that or, I'm or... advocating killing off Cyclops again. Don't get me wrong, because that was. <laughs> you that you was can, though. Like, I mean, how many times have stand. X-Men characters been killed and then brought back? Wait a minute. Let me tell you something. Now that Ryan Reynolds has been redeemed. And again, I have long I I'm a big Ryan Reynolds fan and it's largely from his smaller movies. Uh, uh, Stu mentioned Mississippi grind, which I just watched and I loved, but going back further than that, like uh, Adventureland, which he's excellent in, but I have all these comic book movies that he's in that have failed. I have never thought they were his fault. And even green lantern, which I can't, I despise that movie. He is literally maybe the only thing that works in that movie. So, I'm the only guy that doesn't hate Green Lantern. Uh, but but anyway, so, but anyway, now that Ryan Reynolds has been vindicated, now that Ryan Reynolds has his has been proven right, he he knew if they did Deadpool this way, it would work. He's a bona fide movie star now. I'm I'm ready to move on to James Marsden. James Marsden got fucking hosed and needs to be redeemed because James Marsden is fantastic and deserved better than he got as Cyclops. James Marsden deserves better in general. Yes. Like it's Nobody. it's amazing to me that a guy that charismatic, that funny, that good looking, uh, and that versatile just keeps getting dumped on. Like he just dude needs to like fire his agent or something. Well, it was like perfect casting for Cyclops, but then they just completely shit on the character through like two and a well, half. Well, it's because movies. like every every X Men movie has been the Wolverine show, right? And then he gets nobody, dumped in this weird side deserved. role in Superman Returns that it's just every time James Marsden pops up in a comic book movie, I want so much better for him. 
Nobody deserved Superman Returns, but did anybody's career take a bigger hit than James Bar- Marsden from that movie? Ralph. Who? <laughs> the star, Brandon Ralph. Oh, I thought you said Ralph. <laughs> Ralph. Yeah, I thought you said Ralph. Ralph. Too. Ralph. Ralph. Bra- <laughs> Brandon. Brendan. Brandon or Brendan. Brandon. Brandon. No, he Brandon. Has, Ralph. He got, he got to be in more superhero stuff after that, though. Uh, yeah, but a long time after, and it's on TV. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so. And Marsden's done. Still, okay. though, I always, I always assumed, I always assumed that his death in X Men was punishment for jumping ship with Singer to film Superman Dude, Returns. Have some daughters and watch Enchanted like twenty times. Marsden is so fantastic in it. I, I can attest to that, and I don't even have a daughter. There you go. Have you seen Enchanted, Tim? I have not. It's, it is delightful. Amy Adams is great in it. I mean, you want to, you want to talk about another movie that does meta humor well? Yeah. How has there not been an, uh, this is a podcast where we talk about entertainments of the cult and geek varieties. And now I feel like we're going to spend the next 15 minutes talking about Enchanted, Stu. <laughs> Why have we not had an Enchanted sequel at this point? How did I that get derailed? I don't know. It wasn't, I mean, how popular was the, was pretty pop? It was a hit. Wasn't... I mean, it wasn't a Deadpool sized hit, but I right. think it made, it made over a hundred million for a low budget Disney movie starring Amy Adams, know. who probably made for that film, what will make recording this podcast. All right. We're moving on from Enchanted as much as I can do <laughs> again. Anyway, so uh, now now that Ryan Reynolds is a movie star, Marsden should be next in line. But getting back to Deadpool, here's my question to you guys: What are stu- so so the, okay? So it's an R-rated, super violent, super profane comic book movie. Basically, I mean, we had some violent stuff with Blade. Kick-Ass touched on this a little bit, but basically hasn't been done before, and it's huge. It opened to like 100, what was it, 150? $150 million over the four-day weekend. It made more money in its first four days than the Wolverine made in its entire run. So the question I'm going to pose to both of you is, what will the studios learn from this, and what should they learn from it? Well, the, well, sh- well, here's the question. Will they be drawing the correct lessons from it? Of course not. Of course not. That's right. <laughs> Go on, Stu. No, what what they what they will uh, what they will learn is that hey, let's do uh, more movies like Deadpool. Uh, so you know, a- any other any movie that can you know that can have meta humor and be you know R rated and violent. Well, right. Does that mean R rated and violent, or does that mean overly funny and jokey, or does it mean both? Uh, I think it means. M- I think yeah, both, but I think more. I think it's going to lean more toward the violent. Ultimately, I I, I think what will be really interesting is if uh, Warner Brothers decides to cut Suicide Squad for an R or for a PG thirteen. Now I saw people speculating about that, but I mean, at this point, how would that even be? I mean, that movie's got to be finished shooting or close to it, correct? Well, I it, heard it, says it's locked at a PG thirteen. Right. Area. So I mean, you really can't. I mean, I'm sure they've until. No one knew Deadpool was going to do this, so I'm sure Warner Brothers no. never considered going back past the PG-13. I mean, it, it's a it's a David so, Ayer film, so I have to wonder if you know what he shot for. Um, I, I just can't imagine they shot for an R. I, I can't. It wouldn't surprise me, given the director, but I mean, who knows? And then what are they going to do? Uh, like dub in some f bombs and go back in and put that awful expendable CGI blood squirting effect? I mean, what else? It's can they entirely do? possible. It is entirely oh, but possible. That is such a bad idea. Oh, look, I didn't say it'd be a good idea. I know. I, I know. I'm not. What happens? Uh, what they should learn, though, is that 
you know, people are hungry for something that is different and unique and cool and confident in what it is trying to be. Deadpool, if nothing else, is something wholly unto itself. Uh, you know, it has a lot of familiar trappings, but I mean, it is identified. There is no mistaking this for anything else. This is 100%, you know, Deadpool through and through. Uh, and, and that's what studios need to be looking at. It's like, okay, this was a success because, you know, it was written well. It was made by people who uh, were invested and loved what they were doing. Uh, you know, that's what we need to be gravitating towards. I agree with everything Stu said. The the biggest lesson that I take away from it is is something that I think we, we keep learning time and again, which is that if you have uh, filmmakers that, that can strike the right tone and are hungry enough, then then it usually produces a, a, a decent film or at least a film uh, with a voice, which I think not every comic book film has right now. I honestly think that there's something to be said for being true to the character. And let me make this clear. I mean... 99.9% of the people who went and saw Deadpool this weekend have never read a Deadpool comic book in their life and aren't going to care how closely it resembled its comic book counterpart. But a lot of these characters, they don't arrive fully formed on the comics page. And those characters are worked out over many, many issues as many, many talented writers and artists sort of figure out what makes that character work what makes that character unique, what makes that character interesting, until a comic book audience, no matter how small it is, starts to respond to that character. So even though it doesn't directly translate into this is what a, you know a large mass audience is going to be interested in, I do think it's a way to sort of perfect a character. And so if you treat the character with respect when you are bringing it to a mass audience, and you know, you, you realize the character as he works for a small subset of people on page, I think it's more likely that he's going to work on the big screen for a bigger audience. But, you know, when you get these, when you get a comic book movie and they just completely maul the character as they did with Deadpool originally in X-Men Origins Wolverine, you run into problems. The character would have never worked it like that, worked well like that on the comic book page. So how's he possibly going to work well on a big screen? Do you guys think there's any merit to that? Yeah, I, I mean, certainly. And uh, just to kind of build on that, I think what works here is that, you know, they took this, this isn't this version of Deadpool isn't any one single version right. of the character. I mean, you will, you know, if you like the character, I mean, you'll see elements of him from just about every you know major writer that has ever tackled him. Uh, you know, and I, I think that that's something important to kind of take away is that, you know, you you don't have to be a slave to any one version of a character because, I mean, there's always going to be, uh, you know, variation, a lot of variations on them just due to the nature of, of creative input and stuff. Uh, and, you know, so I think one of the big takeaways here is, you know, find out what works uh, and and don't be afraid to commit to that amalgamation. And I mean, there's no doubt, I agree with everything you said, but the Deadpool that's on screen is still very identifiably Deadpool. Oh, certainly. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. I mean, I don't know. There was talk today that the next Wolverine movie is now going to be R-rated, which, I mean, I guess is okay. I, I, I don't think it's a great idea to all of a sudden be churning out does it nonstop. Need to be? It probably doesn't. I mean, did, I, you guys, did you guys watch the R-rated version of the last one? I did not. I've I did never not. seen it. It was good. I mean, it you know, it it makes sense. I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, has knives pop out of his hands. I mean, 
it it always seemed kind of a little bit silly to me that you know you have this guy who is incredibly violent just by his the nature of the character and what his abilities are and yet it's still very much you know edited around uh this you know the sanitization of, of PG-13 but the thing is is we've been uh, living with a PG-13 version of Wolverine played by Lou J- played by played by Lou, Lou Jackson. Jackson played by the great Lou Jackman <laughs> played by That's Hugh the trauma version yeah <laughs> Played by uh, Hugh Jackman for like 263 movies now. So, I mean, isn't it weird to do like a hard right turn into R-rated territory for what will purportedly be his last Wolverine movie? You know, it, it's it kind of odd. It, it is a little odd. And I don't I ultimately think that it's just going to be a hard PG-13. I really don't think that they're going to uh, go for that. They might. But I, if I were a betting man, I wouldn't I wouldn't put money on them actually releasing it theatrically with an R. One way, to look, one way to look at it, and, and kind of maybe chalk part of Deadpool's success up to this, though, is a lot of a lot of X-Men fans were kids when that first movie came out. Now they've grown up with these characters, you know, and are adults and are probably ready for more R-rated fare. Right. I, I, I would agree with that, and especially because it's like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how popular X-Men are, are with kids in general. I mean, this isn't. None of the X-Men movies have ever been successes on the on the scale of, you know, either of the Avengers films or anything like that. I mean, I right. You know, Last Last Stand broke the record for biggest opening when it first came out. I mean, that's did a it? mega number. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, it, Last Stand, that's right. right it was right. big, but distressingly that, so. But that was that was right. like 5 X-Men movies ago now. They they, right. they all oh, do solid. Uh, they all do solid. You know, you they open an X-Men movie, you're going to make Two hundred million dollars or whatever it is overall. I mean, they, they, Stu's right that, that it's nowhere near the Marvel level of success. Uh, they, they, I'll say this: I don't think. I mean, maybe you get by with an R-rated an R-rated Wolverine, but I don't think X-Men movies in general need to be R. I mean, that would no. be I, most, that, most that, comic book movies don't need to be R. That that would be kind of a ridiculous notion, I think, for that series, which is sort of uh, based on family and. You know, I, I think I think Marvel has the right approach with content like Daredevil and Jessica Jones on Netflix. If right. you're if you're gonna tell darker fare like that, why not stretch it out ten episodes and do it like a cable TV series at that point? Well, then Marvel has the, well, the, the Marvel has also... the distinct divide. He, you know, our movies are gonna be family friendly. We're gonna put our right. darker stuff on TV. That's part of what I was right. gonna say. You know, I mean, those things are markedly different. Uh, you know, and there's definitely that feeling of separation. Uh-huh. But you're gonna have a difference in tone if you go from a PG-13 Wolverine to a R-rated Wolverine. There's always there's always gonna be that element that doesn't match up with the earlier incarnations of that character on film. It, it's possible. It's the same I, guy think, playing I think the R-rated... It's not like you you can't make that jump like they do with a Batman, you know, like a from Schumacher to Nolan. And then what's really weird is again now Deadpool is a bigger hit than the X-Men movies at large so i mean how much do they want a Deadpool versus Wolverine movie i mean they've i mean they got to be begging Hugh Jackman for that right if they're not i'd be <laughs> if they're not they'd be stupid not to um and did you how, guys, did how you guys... much does Deadpool contaminate and take over the main X-Men universe now uh, uh, other... i would be willing to bet that Deadpool at least cameos in future X films um I would actually guess that Deadpool two ends up being an being like an X Force movie, right? Uh, as opposed to like just a pure uh, Deadpool two. 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, if Fox isn't backing the Brinks truck up to Hugh Jackman's front door, uh, they should be. I don't know if you guys – did you guys watch the <laughs> – Ryan Reynolds uh, invaded the Eddie the Eagle press day and sat down and interviewed I Hugh did Jackman. watch it today. They that was del- that was delightful. I mean, just, you know, they need to be playing off of each other. Where was that chemistry in X-Men Origins Wolverine? Uh, it was pissed on and shat upon. For me, it almost becomes more interesting if Jackman walks away, because if, if you don't have Jackman playing Wolverine anymore, what, do you reboot the character? Do you reboot the whole franchise? Or do you, or do you sort of position it more towards Reynolds and, and now Channing Tatum with Gambit? Jackman is so uh, tied to that character that i mean it's they're going to have to wait several years to re you know to bring that character back and recast him but you uh, know they're not going to do that yeah i was like what we've, ho- been, we've had a what hollywood does do watch since well see, but, but that's that's kind of where you know i mean deadpool is their new hotness you know so now right. that they now they have a character that people obviously love and connect with uh, you know, do they do they make him the center of things now? Well, and see, that's the mm-hmm. other weird thing, because, you know, you make Deadpool 2, great. You make X-Force, great. You do some sort of Deadpool versus Wolverine team-up movie, okay, fine. But if you start having, like, Deadpool cameo or show up in the regular X-Men series, which are always so serious, and, I mean, how is that sort of meta humor even going to translate? And isn't Look, this, that, this isn't is, that going to completely it. take you out of the X-Men movie you're watching? Fox almost that's never it. makes good decisions, though. This is what that's the lesson for. that Fox – that's the lesson that Fox needs to take away though from this is is not to merge deadpool with the x-men world too closely and you end up diluting that character well right you kind of you kind of ruin everything that way which is what they'll do as soon as you go back into pg-13 he's basically just the character from x-men origins wolverine again you guys just bet the house on fox ruining everything they're gonna screw it all up i'm i'm fantastic holding my breath honestly deadpool versus fantastic four bank on it if he if he portal hops with cable to go like kebab that <laughs> reboot cast, I will watch that three times in the theater. And but you could totally hear them. them. You could totally you know imagine them scheming like, well, we have to figure out another way to hold on to these Fantastic Four rights. Right. So let's have them pop up in a Deadpool movie for the second oh my act. God. Um, Deadpool is a really really fun movie though. I mean, I had a total blast with it. I want to see it again. Um, I, I, I don't know how many more movies this can go on if it would stop being fresh in a hurry. Guys, I'm just glad Ryan Reynolds has his big hit. He's deserved for so long. I want to give him a hug. Say good for what? you, Ryan. You earned it. Can he, but the things that he was unsuccessful in before, can he now go back to those movies, those kinds of movies? I mean, I don't really see like, him as a, as a drama guy. I don't see him much as a, as a genre I mean, guy outside he, of comic books. Like, where does he go? What does I, he do? Listen, the, the dramas that he works in, where he's successful in, like Mississippi Grind or Adventureland, he kind of plays someone with a bit of wit, who's a little acerbic, who's a little bit of a smart Alex. So that's sort of his thing. And I'm not sure if he has a ton of – you know, I haven't seen his whole filmography, and I don't know if he could go super serious. But sort of sticking to that range, he works very well in smaller dramas, I think. It's really the superhero stuff that hasn't worked out. He seems to flourish when given, you know, kind of offbeat material. You know, you look at you look at something like Buried, where it was literally just him inside of this coffin as he's buried alive. 
he does he does oh. well in that. I, I think that he you know he functions well in that. Um, he is not he is a character actor with leading man looks. He's another he's another Brad Pitt type actor. And, and that's kind of the issue that I come up against is he is so devastatingly pretty and incredibly charismatic that it that it's hard for me to buy him in some of this stuff. And it's not for lack of trying on on his part by any means, and certainly not my part, because I, I do like Ryan Reynolds and I do root for him. I, I'm not sure how much range he has, but I think he can work in a lot of different types of movies. It's hard to buy him in something like Amityville Horror. And so I think that's where he loses me a little bit, is in, is in these roles where he kind of plays the everyday working Joe. Right, right. And he looks like Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> All right, guys, let's move on to the X-Files. I want to talk about the X-Files a little bit for two reasons. One, because Tim is here, and I know, Tim, you were as excited about the new X-Files as I was. Was that true, though? What, what was it? You seemed fairly... Maybe not. Well, that's one of I the first... Pretty, I was pretty apprehensive going in, well, actually. I, I, I mean, I was excited it was back. I mean, I was concerned yeah. about the quality, but... I, you know, my viewpoint is always, well, it can't ruin what's there, especially with the X-Files, which got so terrible in its later seasons anyway. It's not like... It's not like they can sully the franchise at this point. Why not bring my, why not give us some more episodes and see how it turns out? My X-Files cred is I started watching the show in the second season, was completely obsessed with it. No, no, wait, 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 stop right. Wait, wait, stop, stop, stop. Because this is what I want to ask you. How cause you're considerably younger than me. So how old right, are you uh, then? When when what would, grade were you in? Were you still Alright, so I started watching the X-Files, I would have been eight years old. Okay. And I remember the first time it was the Firestarter episode, and I remember it because I saw the preview for it. My grandparents were babysitting me, and then I asked my grandma, hey, can I watch X-Files? Because I'm an idiot. I should have just turned it on. Um, but I asked my grandma, can I watch X-Files? And she made me call my dad and ask him if I could watch him. He's like, why the fuck are you calling me about the X-Files? <laughs> so you, you literally grew up with the show then? <laughs> I grew up, yeah, I grew up with the show. But then I fell out of it by season six. and Not a, I think not a bad was, thing. No, I think what it was for me was just the, and it's kind of the same problem I had with Lost, is where you, you invest so much in this overarching mystery, and then it, it starts to feel as if, and this was one of the first shows that let me down, but it starts to feel as if, okay, maybe they don't have as much a handle on this as I first thought, and uh, and I think the show kind of spun out of control around the time that Duke was getting bored, and so I, I left it, and I, I didn't come back until this reboot. Well, my background is The X-Files started... When I was in college, when I first went to college was when the X-Files launched and it was on Friday nights and I immediately became addicted. One, because I didn't have the social life I should have. And two, I also knew my way around the VCR so I could get that fired up to record the X-Files in Briscoe County Jr. on Friday nights. And uh, yeah, I was pretty much obsessed immediately. Um, its first four or five seasons was absolutely my favorite show on TV. Uh, I just it was so right up my alley and just such an amazingly well-written show and the way they would blend the mythology stuff with the standalone episodes and the scary stuff with the full-blown comedy stuff and it was just just a perfectly balanced show week in and week out especially back then when you had to do 22 or 24 episodes a year and they were coming up with all that good stuff and then i'm kind of like you uh as that you know after i i don't like any of them i didn't like the even the first movie fight the future or whatever it was subtitled when the show was still going pretty strong I didn't, I, remember. I, I didn't dig the movie and I started to sort of tune out. I think after like season five, there are still intermittently good episodes year by year. 
But as a, the show as a whole, it sort of started to fall apart at that point. And then by the time Duchovny left and they brought in Robert Patrick and whatever, it was a train wreck. I wasn't watching week to week. I remember I tuned back in specifically to see the finale, the original series finale, which was garbage. But a lot of time has passed. These actors have stayed in my li- in, in my life because I was a fan of Duchovny's Californication and I was obviously a massive fan of Gillian Anderson on Hannibal. And it just seemed like the time was right to bring it back. And 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 so when they announced that they were going to do these six episodes, it's like, yeah, again, you can't sully the franchise. You can't hurt the series. It kind of petered out anyway. So long story short, I was very excited it was coming back. So my next question is, is has it been has it been worth it? Well, first of all, we're recording this on Tuesday. Did you have you seen last night's episode yet, Tim? I'm halfway through it. OK, so you've seen you've completely seen the first four. And yeah, has it been worth it? What's your assessment so far? Well, I, I'm kind of glad I took your advice and, and some of the advice of my friends because I, I watched the first episode and I thought it was complete garbage. Horrible. Um, I, honestly, terrible and a slap in the face to the mythology that I think a lot of people sort of hung hung their hat on as far as the Exiles were concerned. Because right. it was a complete um, retcon and not even a good one. They didn't they, even, they didn't even retcon it into something more interesting or more updated. They just retconned it into something fucking stupid. Not even good and and really just more of the same aimless Chris Carter kind of drifting in and out right. of his own story, you know. And so once you get past that episode that just kind of ends with the X-Files beginning again and no real rhyme or reason as to why, right. um, you get to Founder's Mutation and, and then it kind of picks up and these Monster of the Week episodes have been fucking fantastic. I've been having a great time with them. Now the latest episode, episode five, is uh, that one's written by Carter and then I know... But the last episode that we're getting is is my struggle too, which is the follow up to the first episode. So I, I, I kind of worry a little bit that the that the best is behind us now as far as the current season's concerned. But... I'm sure it is. I mean, even when the sh- <laughs> even, listen, the, it's very clear that this turned into sort of like a George Lucas situation where the guy who created the show may not know what's best for the show. You have to wrestle it away from its career, right? Correct. And this was something that had become fairly evident even in the later episodes of its original run and during the films and the ill-advised second film that came out. But it's really clear now because the first episode's terrible. I've watched all of this week's episode, the fifth episode. It's it's better. There are there are things I like about it. There are reasons to recommend it where I, I thought almost nothing worked in the premiere but it's still probably the second weakest. But those those middle episodes, you know, the ones written by the Morgan brothers and I forget who did the other one. Was it Spotnitz? I'm, uh, I'm not sure. Who, who was it? Oh, I'm yeah, Wong. About, You're right. Wong wrote, Wong. The, yeah, Wong wrote the other one. Um, those were all pretty great. And the Were Monster one was just, I mean, the one of the best hours of TV I've seen right in the last year i mean just so funny and so clever and everything i loved about the x-files back for that one hour so even if the other five episodes stunk i actually think it was totally worth it for that hour but to to my surprise it's been worth it and i i think what i what i first loved about the show was that it it took these things that i loved very seriously and then it sort of delved into parody later on and now it's sort of a, a blend of, of both things where there's these latest episodes have got a lot of nods and winks and homages and stuff right. that, that kind of drag them down and I, i'm not even sure that we need that kind of stuff in 2016 anymore because it, it's getting more distracting um the more informed we all are but i kind of wish they would just at this point 
just drop the mythology stuff. Just drop it. Correct. Correct. Alien invasion averted. We're not going to deal with that anymore. And if it comes back, which I think it will, because the ratings have been like huge for today by today's standards, ratings have been massive. And Duchovny and Anderson both seem interested, so I'm sure there's going to be more. Um, Yeah, just give us standalones, and you can mix it up. I mean, some of them can be scary, some of them can be funny, some of them can deal with Mulder and Scully's relationship. Some of them you can bring in new characters like they did this past week. But, uh, yeah, just give us this sort of standalone horror stories with these characters and give us six a year or ten every year and a half or whatever you want to do. I'd I'd be totally happy with that. And and uh, you got to get Vince Gilligan the right one. They couldn't get Vince Gilligan this time because he's too busy with Better Call Saul. But I would love to see a new Vince Gilligan written X-Files episode. So if, Absolutely. We, if we get a season two, I hope that happens. Now, Stu, you're not you're not an X-Files guy, right? I like the X-Files. I don't have anything against the X-Files. So uh, you've, you've seen some of the original show? That, I've that? watched probably about two to three dozen episodes of the original series. So that's a fair sampling. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, I've certainly seen my share of, of the show, and I like it. I like the characters. Uh, I watched the first I watched the first movie. I uh, never saw the second one. You know, but I just, I never, even though I, I love the concept, and I, I always enjoy whatever I watch, I, for some reason I just never developed a real attachment to it. And is that because you're not watching the current run, correct? No, I am not, although some of that has to do with the fact that I don't, I mean, I I don't have any you know cable anymore or anything right. like that, so it's a little difficult you to watch it. Chuck to the cable, so you'd have to find. Have I to have buy it by episode or watch it by right. alternative means. But but it's more of an interest thing for you at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's whenever it hits Netflix or Amazon or wherever it ends up. I mean, I'm sure I'll watch it. Uh, my dad loves X Files, so you know, it'll be something he and I can watch together, which would be great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just you know, I mean, I I'm just not prioritizing it i'm actually just started watching deadwood so i'm i'm happy committing my time to to watching that for the first time okay you're way better off as much as i like the (laughs) x-files you're better off watching deadwood why didn't you tell me you started watching deadwood because i like just started yesterday when did this happen so you watched like the first episode of the first two yeah i'm i'm I'm, was in the middle of watching the second one when i got online for this deadwood is like my fifth favorite television show of all time matter of fact i think it's exactly fifth so you're in for a treat my friend it's really good so far hopefully i'll i'll does it okay just tell me this does it i know that it only got three seasons right yes uh, does it at least have a good ending, like a satisfactory ending? Um, it's not great, but it is satisfactory. Is it more satisfactory than the than the uh, ending for Carnival? Yes. Okay. I never finished Carnival because I was like, I knew that they got canceled before they could wrap things up. So I just I couldn't bring I literally could not bring myself to finish it because I knew that I wouldn't get the closure that I wanted and needed out of that. So I just about halfway through season two, I was just like, I can't do this. I have to stop. The the final episode of carnival does wrap up a lot of the big plot stuff that was going on in season two, but it also introduces a ton of stuff that they were obviously going to examine and tackle in future seasons that ends up being a big tease for stuff you never got. So that that's awful that doesn't happen with deadwood um it doesn't really feel as much i mean it doesn't really feel like a series finale because it wasn't intended to be deadwood deadwood was always supposed to be four seasons it ended up only getting three 
but there's not a ton of, I mean, it feels, I mean, it's a finale for that season and they didn't really stretch a ton of stuff over from one season to the next. And thematically it works well enough as a finale. Of course now, and this is a great way to segue into our next topic, which now, you know, Deadwood might be coming back. It looks like we're going to get at least a film from HBO sometime soon. That's what's being being reported. And it's because everything's coming back. I mean, we got the X-Files back. We're getting Twin Beaks back. We might at least get the Deadwood movie. Uh, Arrested Development came back. 24 came back. We're getting Fuller House, for Christ's sakes. Uh, how do we feel about this trend? Are we happy with it? Do we want to just seeing shit we loved as a kid recycled over and over and over again? Would we rather have new properties? Or are we glad that, you know, Twin Peaks is coming back and Mulder and Scully are back on the case? Well, I think it would be one thing if there wasn't already uh, this television renaissance going on. I mean, this is the golden age of long-form storytelling on television. And there's so much of it. Yeah, I mean there is there is no shortage of amazing things uh, to watch on your TV uh, week after week. So, you know, if if that if if this you know revival stuff was what was taking uh, priority, that'd be one thing. Uh, but yeah, it, it's fine. I mean, a lot of it seems to be fairly well done overall. So sh- sure, do I mean as long as it keeps being entertaining and 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 well well executed, uh, I'm all for it. And there's nothing that's been revived or announced to be revived that's either been sacrilege to me or or anything more than kind of just saying, no, I don't care, like Prison Break. Prison Break, a a show where (laughs) the main character died at the end of the series, and yet now they're bringing it back with main character still breathing so that should be interesting and yes i I, i'm someone who actually watched all four all four seasons of prison break i'm ashamed to admit but let me ask you this though is there anything that's been brought back yet that you kind of roll your eyes at and say oh god i wish they weren't bringing this back there's no Um, way that they can make this work no i i i wasn't as big on arrested development as other people were i liked it i thought it was a very good comedy but I mean, it, I, to me, it wasn't this big, earth-shattering, world's greatest comedy that so many, so many others made it out to be. And I didn't watch the the season they had on Netflix last year, but from what I understand, most people were disappointed by it. It wasn't very good, no. So was that – I mean, does that sully the series as a whole in your eyes, or is it just like, eh? It's just – you can kind of see it for what it is, and it's not the original show. They couldn't get the schedules to line up with people. You know, they kind of divvied the episodes up amongst the characters, and it doesn't have that, that ensemble feel that the show benefited from. I mean, I can tell you that 24 worked like gangbusters, but there are a couple reasons for that. One, the show had only been off for like three years, I think, maybe four when they brought it back. So it's it wasn't like a lot of time had passed or it was going to feel like this whole different thing. And um, since it was only 12 episodes and since that show was so rigidly structured to begin with, I mean, it felt very much like what it was still in real time, even though it was only 12 episodes and it felt very much like what had come before. So I enjoyed that a lot, although then now they're planning another season without Kiefer Sutherland and I don't want that. But uh, I think the larger problem and, and Fox is kind of the figurehead of this, but the, I think the larger problem is that they're just driving the idea that these brands can go on forever without the things that made them work. In some cases, like X-Files, where we're like, ah, yeah, you know, Chris Chris Carter probably needs to step away. Um, I think the X-Files can survive on its own. But something like Prison Break, where it's not, it doesn't have the name recognition of an X-Files, I mean, can that really go on past 
Well, I mean, I can, I can tell you why. They, episodes? Listen, I can tell you why they do it. It's because there's heroes. there's it, yeah, Look, heroes. heroes is the same. I mean, that nobody wanted heroes, and that got dusted off, and and that ended up getting canceled. Listen, I can tell I can tell you why this happens. It's because there's so much content out there. Netflix is making shows, Amazon making shows. Everybody's got shows now. There's too much yep. there's too much competition for eyeballs. So the networks and anybody that can get the rights to these things, the sh- the surest way that they can launch a show that's go- that's going to have an audience right up front is by is by bringing back these old beloved properties. I mean, it's Star Trek. Right. So with everybody either watching Netflix or playing video games or, you know, whatever they're doing with the audience so fragmented, this is the best way, especially the networks can get eyes on something. So that's That's why they're doing it. That doesn't make it the best idea. Um, Twin Peaks will be the one to see. We'll see how that turns out, because, uh, you know, I mean, the X-Files is easy. You get Duchovny back, you get Anderson back, you get a couple of the writers back. You can do it. I mean, it's not. But Twin Peaks that was a huge cast. They're not getting everybody back. Some people aren't with us anymore. Some people didn't want to do it. A lot of time. I mean, years and years and years and years have passed since Twin Peaks was on. Um, you do have David Lynch, you know, uh, writing with Mark Frost and directing all the episodes. But it'll be interesting to see if that feels like a legitimate continuation or sort of more of a pale imitation. Don't you feel like, though, with with a writer like Lynch and like Frost that – even if it's bad, it's still kind of kind of be worth watching. Probably, just because of how fucking weird it's going to be. The entire Although time. a lot of people think season two of Twin Peaks didn't meet those qualifications, and there's a stretch of that where Lynch wasn't involved, so maybe that has That's, something to yeah. do with it. Correct. Although I am actually a defender of season two of Twin Peaks, but um, I, I don't know. I love the show. I'm glad it's back. In the story, it actually sets up to to revisit itself 25 years Correct. later. So the timing this works feels out more. Nicely. This feels very organic to me, whereas you know maybe the 24 reboot won't. We'll see. Um, and again, Twin Peaks is. Uh, I enjoy uh, Twin Peaks had a, as big an influence on me as the X Files did. I mean, I loved that show when it was on, and I will definitely be excited when it returns next year. But. I think a little more apprehensive than I am about the X-Files. And again, the X-Files has bad episodes. The X-Files has bad seasons already. Twin Peaks, say what you will about that second season or Fire Walk With Me. I greatly enjoy both of those things. Um, it, you know, it didn't drag on and on and on for seven, eight, nine seasons. This is a show that had, I don't know, 30-some episodes, 40 episodes in a movie, and that was it. That jump to Showtime makes it ultra provocative, too. This is true. Well, it'll probably be more in tone with Fire Walk With Me, which is, you know, has the boobs and has the blood and, was you know, was an R-rated. So it, I'm sure it'll be more in line with that than the ABC show, which is fine because I like Fire Walk With Me. I didn't hear a thing you said after has the boobs. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> hmm, what? Boobs? Yeah. Uh, now they're bringing uh, – MacGyver's coming back, you guys. MacGyver. I mean, will any like MacGruber? I don't want MacGyver. <laughs> will any old television property go? I don't know turn? how you can do MacGyver with a straight face after MacGruber now. Airwolf. We need more Airwolf in our lives. I, I, dude, I was just gonna say that. <laughs> Break out the Airwolf. There, Show there's presents. okay. Here's here's what I want from this. TV M A Airwolf. No, no, no. Here's what I want from this this new uh, newfound revival of of old tv shows 
the part of what made the eighties great was that there were so many shows where the main character drove a badass tricked out vehicle of some kind, be it, you know, Airwolf or, or street Hawk or Knight Rider. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, like bring, bring back vehicles to these, <laughs> to these shows. Let's let's shared universe that shit up. And get one show with Knight Rider and Street Hawk. Knight Riders had, Arrow. I think Knight Riders had like two reboots. It does. They, there have been all throughout the years. Yeah, there have been like Knight Rider TV movies and reboots and shit. Yeah. Yeah, there's been Team Knight Rider, Knight Rider 2000, the what? Knight Rider from like. What the fuck? Do you have all these memorized? Or are you looking at a website right <laughs> no, now? No, I just know them. I was, oh dude, I was a huge Knight, Knight Rider, Rider fan as a kid. Stu, Stu's going to start rattling off like which actors were featured in every Knight Rider spinoff slash reboot. Who directed them? What we year need to they get aired? Viper back. What is Viper? Oh, Viper. I, don't, I don't even remember. Yeah. Viper. No, 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 no. Yeah, we. Oh. When, yeah, when we the Dodge Viper, Viper came Viper out, it was like blowing everyone's mind as a sports car. Uh, Again, Chrysler, listen. With Transformers success in China, how is this not a big screen shared universe at this point? Chrysler, can't we get, can't we get the rights for all these things? Viper. Bob, uh, just let's do talk about Viper for a second. <laughs> I don't even know what what is Viper. I have no Viper, memory. Am I too Viper old for Viper? What is Viper? Was, Street Hawk, I know. It was basically marketing for the Dodge Viper, and I mean it was it was a Knight Rider esque show where you had this guy that went around like you know fighting crime or what have you, and his his Dodge Viper like transformed into different stuff. Stu won't wait, 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 wait. Stu won't watch the X Files reboot, but put on any show with a tricked out vehicle blowing shit up, and Stu is there. I, man, I this, watched this crap as a kid. I haven't seen this in decades. This was the most '90s syndicated show yep. that ever syndicated. Like this, this thing, like, this thing came on after like reruns of Renegade. Yeah, exactly, and the car was like the T1000, <laughs> where it was like. Gatling guns would like liquefy yeah, and merge or like, the side it of the went car. Into, like, like, it didn't transform. It had mud tires. It wasn't like Bumblebee at all. It was yeah. It had like a, a liquid motif. <laughs> right. Stupid <laughs> and awesome. I thought it was the coolest shit. Stu's obsession with the Fast and Furious series is starting to make a whole lot of sense. So what happens when you're raised on a diet of Viper all the time? <laughs> Guys, My family didn't have cable. My family didn't have cable growing up for. You know, several Same. years. Viper's all you had. Syndication, <laughs> yep. you have to watch shit like, uh, you know, The Crow, Stairway to Heaven, and Viper, and Andromeda, and whatever else, you know, that they were trying to emulate next generation success with. Babylon 5. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. All right, guys, before we go, one more quick topic. Uh, I'm pretty sure this will be the last episode we record before batman v superman is released as a matter of fact my guess is the next time we all group up it'll be to talk about that film so one last time before we finally see it is where do we stand are we hopeful are we still endlessly discouraged like i know i've been for since this movie was announced where are our hopes at going into it i i am sick of marketing for it i just i don't want another trailer or tv spot or poster i just let me see the dang movie that's, that's all I want at this point. I just want to see it. I'm still looking forward to it. I'm still hoping that it will be good. Uh, I think that I will still enjoy it, but oh my God, just stop already. Now, do you think that's all the marketing, or do you think that's so much us debating it, web chatter, people fretting about it, talking about I, it? You know? it, it? Honestly, it's all of that. Like I, I'm, I'm sick of people 
you know, just mocking it all the time. I'm sick of people defending it. You know, I'm sick of me defending it. You know, I just, I just, it's like, it is, it feels like to see the fucking thing. It, right. It, it feels like this movie has been almost coming out for an eternity. You no, know, I feel like Stu and I are kind of on different sides of the fence in terms of our preconceived notions. I don't think the movie looks really good. I don't think the marketing uh, for the film has done a good job of selling it. Um, but I'm I'm in the same boat. You know, I just want to see the fucking film now. I don't really think it looks good. It's the least anticipation I've ever had for a Batman film in my entire life. Batman movies are like my groove. I love them. I just can't muster anything in my heart for this one. And I... I I don't know exactly why that is. It's just I, I feel like this is so forced from WB, and I I, I just feel like we're they, they missed a lot of steps in getting to this point. I at, I at am antici- point, I'm anticipating it so little that I keep forgetting that it's almost here. Like I know it's coming because, like Stu said, the oversaturation in the trailers. But I feel like this movie has been many many months off for so long that my brain still to default right. to it's many many months off but oh, oh wait no it's actually coming out in like three weeks or right. four weeks or whatever it is i thought the last trailer sucked i kind of had a spark of hope with the the second trailer the one that opens with um bruce wayne and clark kent sort of meeting outside lexus party i i kind of like that trailer and and even though they're unrelated, I really like the Suicide Squad trailer that came out. So I I kind of was like, okay, maybe maybe DC knows what they're doing. Maybe they're gonna get this. And then that third trailer came out last week. And besides for some of the Batman action at the beginning looking okay, I thought the trailer was terrible. Like here, my my anticipation for it at this point is just so that I can know what it is because you know there's so much stuff that I read that it's like there you know there's some there's a lot more to the movie that. You know, than just the Batman and Superman rivalry. Uh, you know, it, the entirety of the movie isn't as grim and and dark as the trailers make you think. So I I, I just want to see, I just want to see the thing. I just want to see what it is, and you know, and just kind of go from there. I hope the movie's great. You know, the right. problem that I keep coming up against is everything I've seen from the three trailers. I can't get it to all connect in my head cohesively to where i can i can see it making sense over right like two and a half exactly. hour ordeal and that's my concern for the movie is is not that i don't think they that snyder can stick stick the landing i think he can i think affleck could nail it as batman i just don't know if you take all of those elements and you try to introduce aquaman and you're trying to sell your wonder woman movie and you've got justice league three years down the pike, and you know that the movie's going to be filled with winks and nods for that. I just don't know how all of that comes together to make one satisfying story-driven movie. I mean, I agree with Tim, but trailers are trailers and movies are movies, so we'll see how it is when he gets here. Uh, Tim, you're going to come back on to talk about it with us, maybe? Can we twist your arm? Hell yeah. No, this was fun. Thank you for having me, as always. Thank you, and you as well, Stu, for joining me tonight. Thanks, everyone, for listening at home or in your cars or through your iPods, however you're listening. Check us out at cultspark.com. Go buy Tim's book. What's the, the title? Give us the title again, Tim. Mafia versus Werewolves. Amazon.com. Kindle app. Downloadable uh, on smartphones, iPads, whatever you got. Also, you can find Cult Spark at Twitter at Cult Spark uh, on Facebook. Throw us a like. Throw us a follow. Um, write us up a good review for this podcast at iTunes. We'd love you forever for it. Other than that, thanks for listening. Take care. Bye.